we are in week three of our series, Life Beneath the Surface. And it's all about building a strong spirituality without denying our humanity. And this is challenging for some of us that have grown up in church spaces because a lot of church spaces actually kind of ask us to not uh, think about our emotions. So maybe they almost treat it as if um, our emotions are part of our sinful nature. Um, I know that was my, the, my, the case for me as I came up in church spaces. I often felt like our emotions were talked about as leading us astray and dangerous. But the reality is, Part of being made in the image of God is that we have emotions, that it's actually part of how we bear his image. And that it is not a result of our sinful nature that we have emotions. Emotions are information. They help us to know that something is going on that we need to pay attention to. They're essential to our humanity. And we want to avoid either extreme where decisions are in the drive, I mean, emotions are in the driver's seat making all the decisions, but also ignoring our emotions completely is a dangerous scenario as well. And so what does it look like to integrate these two and to not settle for a Christianity that just is at the top of the surface, like an iceberg, the 10% you see, but a Christianity and a spirituality that embraces the 90% that maybe people don't see and actually integrate those, actually have our emotions speak into our spiritual life and our spiritual life speak into our emotions. And so our founding pastor, Pastor Pete, used to say it like this, that we cannot be emotionally healthy and spiritually, I'm sorry, emotionally unhealthy and spiritually mature. Those two things cannot coexist. We can't attain spiritual maturity and ignore our emotions and uh, be unhealthy in that way. And so what does it look like for a church and a community to grow in emotional health alongside our spirituality. Well, there's a few characteristics that I can point to. Being an emotionally healthy community entails that we grow in naming, recognizing, and managing our own feelings. An emphasis on our own feelings, not the feelings of others, but our own feelings. Do we even know how to name them or recognize them, let alone manage them? We grow in praying our feelings, that's right. Our emotions are an important and critical part of our spiritual life. Are we integrating them? Are we praying through them and with them? We grow in our capacity to be present to others and their feelings. It is very hard to do this if you are not aware of what you are feeling beneath the surface, if you can't name it and recognize it. And so when we do this, it is for the sake of others that we grow in our capacity to be present with them. And then we grow in discerning the deeper messages beneath our emotions. What is it that our emotions are pointing to? And how does that affect our spirituality? How does that affect our relationships? These are all critical factors to living a robust life in Jesus that we were called to. And so this is the focus of this series, is to dig further into this. Pastor Rich gave a great overview about two weeks ago on this topic and the emotional life of Jesus and all the emotions that we see Jesus express in his life. But also last week he talked about anger and specifically how it can be a force for good and for maturity or a destructive force. And so I encourage you to catch up if you missed any of those, but today I'm going to talk about anxiety. And if we have been conscious at all this week, 
We know that there are endless sources of anxiety cropping up daily and this week especially as we see the state of this world. And so this is a, a topic that I know is timely even for myself as I continue to wrestle with anxiety. And so let's talk about Philippians. Let's go to Philippians 4. We're going to be looking at verses 5 through 9 this morning. Philippians 4, 5 through 9, and I will read that for you now. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's take a moment to pray. Lord, we thank you for the goodness of your word. I never cease to marvel at how this has been preserved for us for centuries, for millennia, so that we would know how to live how to walk with you, to know who we are in Christ. And so, Lord, would your word speak to us this morning? Would you reveal what is beneath the surface? And would you help us to embrace the beautiful promises that you have for us? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, when I was a little girl, there were two things that I absolutely loved doing, and I could spend hours doing them. One was swinging on a set of swings, and the other one was jumping on the bed. And I think I can admit that now without getting in trouble. We'll see if my aunts and uncles call me. You know, I don't know. I don't know what'll happen to me. But <laughs> I can admit now, I, whenever the adults weren't looking or they were a little out of earshot, we did bounce on that bed, and on the couch too, I think. Um, and I just loved it, I just loved it. Um, because there's this moment, right, when you're swinging on a swing. You know, I just wanted to swing higher and higher because there's just this moment when you're up at the top and it just feels like you're, you're kind of just hanging there for a moment, suspended, like gravity is not even affecting you. You're just floating for that one moment. It felt like flying. Um, and same thing with bouncing on something. I would love to bounce on the bed or on the couch because it just, again, for a fleeting moment up at the top, you just felt free, like you were soaring. It was like the closest you could imagine to flying as a little kid, you know? And those moments were so, I don't know, there was just something about it. There was some childhood delight in that. And I admit, even as an adult, uh, my younger daughter, Abby, was, uh, would go to gymnastics class and I did go to support her and to, you know, be a good mom, but I also was kind of living vicariously through her. I'd watch her on the trampoline and be like, oh, I wish that was me. I wish I could be doing that. Because there's something just so beautiful and freeing about those big bounces and those moments in the air where you just seem so free. 
Now, what I have learned is gravity is not as kind to you as you get older. Um, I remember there was a new lifer, I believe she was in her 70s at the time, and early on in my time here, she was like, oh, I always take the elevator down instead of, I was like, oh, walking down the stairs is so easy, you know, and she said, no, 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 as you get older, it hurts your knees, you know, it's easier to take the elevator down, and I thought, oh, that's interesting. I understand her now. I understand. I'm like, I feel gravity pulling on me a little more than, than it used to. The wear and tear is starting to show. Um, even if I go on the ground to stretch, I evaluate those opportunities much differently now. <laughs> it's, I don't pop back up like I used to. Now I'm like, okay, do I have everything I need? And do I know what I'm going to do when I get down there? Because it's not that much fun getting up again. Um, and I know that that's just life, right? We were designed to live in gravity right? We were designed to be in this atmosphere and feel the pull of gravity, even if it does wear on us over time. Um, But the reality, too, is anxiety is a lot like that. We were meant to live with a certain amount of anxiety, but oftentimes we are carrying a lot of extra anxiety, anxiety that is not helpful or healthy to us. It's the air we, we uh, breathe, it's the water we swim in, it's all around us. It's a force that's invisible and it affects every one of us, but oftentimes we're not fully aware of how much it is weighing us down until we feel very burdened. It's not a matter of if you experience anxiety, it's when and how much and what you do with it because no one can escape it like gravity. We are all subject to this force of anxiety in the world. And so what exactly is anxiety? Anxiety is a reaction to a real or perceived event. I'm sorry, threat. It is a reaction to a real or perceived threat. Now, what I want to be clear on is I'm not going to be addressing anxiety disorders, PTSD, anything with a clinical diagnosis, or um, anxiety that's connected to a real threat because those require different kinds of resources in addition to spiritual support. They require things like therapists and social workers who have a special set of skills to walk alongside you in that or have tools and resources to help remove you from a situation where there's a real threat um, on your safety. And I'm grateful for those skilled uh, professionals. Many of I've had several therapists over the years who have walked with me in different seasons and provided different care for me. And so I want to just be clear that we're not talking about that today, but that we're actually talking about those daily anxieties that we face, that we see no matter what situation we are in, we are presented with all kinds of situations, people, events that can fill us and induce anxiety. And so I'm talking about things like the politics in your workplace, trying to navigate all of that, trying to figure out who's trying to get a promotion, when is there a job being vacated, who might get it, or are we afraid of downsizing, and who might get cut if we're downsized, and how do I maneuver to get favor or to show that I'm a necessary employee? Those are the kinds of things that we're all dealing with in different ways and forms and in different seasons. Or it might be that you have anxieties about your health, You're worried that something may crop up, or you tend to overreact, like you start to feel a twinge on something, some part of your body, and and you do the dreaded Google search. (laughs) You know, I don't know anything about this. This is just what I've heard. I've never done this, Um, but (laughs) 
But yeah, you start Googling and suddenly you're like in a really big quandary and you're like, oh my gosh, what is my medical leave like? Can I live if I have to take time off for surgery? Or, you know, you start being convinced that you're dying or someone close to you might be dying. You know, we just get really caught up in this spiral of thinking. Maybe it's commuting for you and you're like, you know, will the train run on time? Will I be late for where I'm trying to get to? Maybe you'll be anxious if the train is running on time and you'll be suspicious, like, why is this running on time? Am I gonna, is something going on with the MTA? Um, <laughs> I've had that experience too. I'm like, this is suspiciously prompt. Um, <laughs> or it's maybe a pileup of things. It could just be that like, you're just struggling with the needs and the requirements of daily life. Like, the house is a mess. Uh, the laundry's unfolded. Um, I need to cook dinner again. Um, I, <laughs> people want to eat every day, you know? I need to buy a gift for this event, and I need to think about how I'm going to get this thing to that person by such and such date, and when am I going to get that done? Every day we're facing stress, and then, of course, news and social media provide an endless source of stress. I decided on Friday um, to just scan a few different news websites and just pull out some random headlines across different subject areas. And this is a few of the headlines that I found. Crimes behind the seafood you eat. <laughs> uh, I didn't click on that. I was like, I, 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 I can't handle that right now. Uh, <laughs> He dreamed of playing in the NFL. He was killed playing video games with friends. I mean, talk about an anxiety-inducing headline. New York, California exodus continues, but catastrophic effect of Biden economy may be on the way, experts. GOP leadership crisis deepens as House remains paralyzed. Day of Jihad sparks warnings for Americans to stay inside. This is just from Friday, family, okay? I just picked just a few headlines, and sadly, it wasn't even hard to find uh, headlines that induce anxiety. Now, here's the thing. I am not saying that you should remain ignorant and avoid the news. That is not what I'm saying. We do need to know what's happening in the world, and we do need to be aware of dangers around us and be informed. But what I am saying is that all of these headlines and many more that we see are designed to induce anxiety and to pull on your most basic instinct to protect yourself and push you to click, whether it's being exaggerated or not. I actually didn't read any of these because I was too stressed out just copying and pasting them. Okay, so I was like, I had to pray right after. I didn't read them, but that's the thing. They're, they're designed to make you click because they're banking on the fact that if they can tap into any root anxiety in your life, you will feel compelled to click. It's a manipulation tactic whether the danger is real or not. It won't always look like fear and, and worry, though. Anxiety also takes other shapes in our lives. It can look, it's more like high reactivity, that you're constantly on edge, waiting for the next threat, afraid that it will come, even if it's a not a real threat. And so it can look like anger, volatility, frustration, irritability, or a desire for control. It can look like all these things. And so what am I saying? Anxiety is the water we swim in. It is everywhere. 
It is not a matter of if you will encounter it or if it will try to be present in your life. It's more of a question of how will you navigate it when you are faced with it, because it is everywhere. And so what does that mean? If anxiety is always present, it will shape your life if you let it. Anxiety is always present, and it will shape your whole life if you let it. Unchecked anxiety is so dangerous. Like I said, it's like gravity. It's this invisible force, and unless we resist it actively, unless we are equipped to push it back, it will direct our behaviors, it'll reorder all of our priorities, it will actually promise us false things, things that it can never deliver on, even safety from things that are not really a threat to you. If you don't recognize it and name it for what it is, if we don't intentionally resist it, it will provoke us to act out of fear, out of anxiety, I'm sorry, anger, and even panic, instead of responding out of the peace of God. It will slowly and surely take over all our decision-making and our relationships and our lives. It will hijack our spirituality. Now, some anxiety is healthy and normal, but in our culture, at the pace we're living, at the, and the, all the sources of anxiety that we encounter, things quickly get way beyond our control. We were not meant for the volume of anxiety we face daily. And so theologian and author Michaela O'Donnell, uh, in her book Making Work Matter, says it like this. Anxiety isn't all bad. It can actually be a healthy human response to no unknown circumstances, helping us to notice threats and make decisions. But as the world is accelerating and becoming less and less predictable, it is too much for our brains to handle. When we're anxious about work, and also climate change, or politics, or stuff going on in our families, we become exponentially anxious. Each anxiety-producing thought feeding off one another. Our brains and hearts are taking in more than they were meant to. And we must be on the lookout for how quickly healthy anxiety morphs into unproductive and debilitating fear, limiting our capacity to function and flourish. This is the weight of what we're potentially carrying in the modern world. Anxiety is as old as humanity. But unchecked anxiety will help make poor choices for us. And it will make choices that are the opposite of what God is actually inviting us to and offering us. In Christ, we're offered comfort and joy and hope and peace. And we're called to live with open and extended hands towards the world. But anxiety would have you close in on yourself, to be defensive, protective, reactive, with a life confined by worry and fear and anger. That's not the invitation of Christ. And so I wanna pause here and just ask you to think for a moment, where are you experiencing anxiety right now in your life? Where are those places that you are consumed with worry? 
What are the moments in your own life that just keep replaying in your own head like you can't stop it? What relationships is it hard for you to show up without being provoked and volatile and angry? Take a moment. Where are those places in your own life? It might be something I mentioned or something totally different. Because here's the reality. The good news of the gospel is that actually Jesus provides a very practical uh, guidance in Scripture through Paul's writings to the Philippians. There's actually a very practical way of, of kind of redirecting and refocusing ourselves when anxiety crops up and begins to take over. And so I want to walk us through a little bit of the scripture from today, of starting at verse 5. I want us to just take a look and see how Paul, step by step, actually guides us towards a better way than just allowing ourselves to be subject and controlled by anxiety. And so it says in verse 5, Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Now right here, this is exactly why this sermon series exists. This is exactly why um, we have this as a core value of our church. One of our um, core values is emotional health. Because right here we see that our gentleness should be evident to all. That we are actually meant to be experienced by the people in our lives as gentle. That it's a fruit of the Spirit. Gentleness in the biblical sense is not just um, like kind of being uh, withdrawn or quiet. It's about having a certain kind of power and authority, but recognizing that you can control it and that you are able to walk into a room and still be humble, still be able to just apply the right amount of pressure and not all of your pressure to bear in that one area. You know how to calibrate yourself. There's a gentleness that we are expected to have. And so if we are struggling to bear that fruit of the Spirit, when we show up in places and anxiety-riddled spaces and relationships, then there is more work to be done here. And so Paul invites us to then take that next step in verse 6 and 7. Here, Paul gets very practical. Now, it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, right? And so that can, when we first read that phrase, do not be anxious about anything, it could sound like that's bad, it's sin, don't be anxious. If you're anxious, you're sinning. But it's not really meant like that. That word, but in Greek, it actually kind of means that it's like a conditional thing. It's like you're being offered an alternative. And so when he says don't be anxious, it's more like don't stay in your anxiety. Don't settle for that. Instead, do this. Don't stay in your anxiety. Rather, do this instead. He's offering an alternative. He's saying instead of anxiety, instead of remaining in anxiety, exchange it for the thing that God is offering you in this moment, and he is presenting it here. And so don't, don't um, fall in the trap of thinking like, oh, if I'm anxious, I'm, I'm already sinning, I'm already violating God's will. No, no, no. Anxiety is expected. Instead, he's directing you to say there is an alternative to just giving in to anxiety. There's an alternative to remaining in it. And so he says, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. He's saying to turn to prayer. To, when we feel those moments of anxiety, turn to him. Turn to prayer. 
And petition is just a type of prayer where we're presenting those requests to God. So he sort of explains it in that second part. Petition, uh, prayer of petition is where we're presenting what we need from God. Now, these prayer, if you pray this way and, and at the other verses as I get to them, it is transforming. Your prayers over time really will change. I remember as an early Christian, and I was thinking about this earlier today, there were so many times where I just prayed that God would show me what to do. You know, like I was a follower of Jesus, but I just wanted him to tell me what to do. Because I was convinced if I could just do the right things, then I would be accepted, and I would be happy, and I would be at peace. But as I prayed those over the years, I realized God's invitation was deeper than that. That as I prayed these prayers and held this space, and God held this space with me in prayer, he began to show me it's more than that. I want more than that for you. He started taking me deeper below the surface. And I started to realize it's not just about doing all the right things. It was also about I needed God to show me who I was what my identity was rooted in. And so my prayers started to shift, my petition started to shift from show me what to do, tell me what to do so I can look and be the part to tell me who I am. How do I fit in the kingdom of God? Where do I belong? Because that was actually at the heart of my anxiety, not doing the right things, that's the appearance. And I thought that would be enough to alleviate my anxiety. But the reality was I needed to deeply know who I was and that even the parts of me that I thought were not great were loved by God. And so those prayers shifted. They got deeper. And then as I prayed more and more of those prayers, I began to know who I was and I began to feel anchored in who I was in Christ. Those prayers shifted again. And I found the next deeper layer that Jesus was inviting me into was to now know more and more of who he is and to see him at work. That I wanted to see him not just so I can behold his splendor because I wanted to join him in his work. I wanted to keep up with what God was doing. I wanted to collaborate with him. I wanted to be a part of it in a, in a way that I hadn't been before. These prayers are powerful. They're not just theoretical, like I just go and I list a laundry list of things I want. But if we pray this way, over time, God invites us to deeper and deeper levels of, of petition, of asking for things. We start asking on the surface because that's all we know. But if we continue this practice, he brings us deeper and deeper. And then that calmness, that peace, that guards our hearts and minds, that transcends all understanding, actually just goes deeper and deeper. We become people that live out of that space instead of people that just have to snatch it here and there in prayer. It begins to abide and live in us instead of falling through our fingers at the next anxious event. We become shaped by this prayer. But he invites us a step further. He actually invites us further in when we get to verses eight and nine, he actually invites us to, uh, oh, I'm sorry, there's one thing I missed in the last verse, forgive me. In verse seven and six and seven, he also says, with thanksgiving, and I wanna make sure I highlight that because that's really important. Is there a place, even in your anxiety, to give thanks to God? 
to acknowledge and give gratitude for what he has already done, even before he acts on anything you ask him. And I gotta tell you, it's a transformative thing. It feels bold and crazy maybe, but the reality is, even in those moments when I would pray those prayers, I would be holding before him uh, the recognition that I was rescued by him. And even though there were moments I felt so lost and confused about what he wanted from me and who I was meant to be, I also could still hold, you saved me, you rescued me, and I know that you are a God who will show me where I fit and what is next. I trust that because I don't think you're a cruel God and you didn't just rescue me from where I was and, and bring me into relationship with you to then watch me flounder. I just don't believe that. And so those prayers of thanksgiving remind us that God is still God, that he is still faithful. Just as he has been faithful in the past, he will show up again, even as you wait on those petitions. And so that's an important step to offer those thanksgivings and recognize that he is God and that you can accept some peace in knowing that you don't have to be. Amen? Amen. <laughs> and then we go to verses 8 and 9, and here's the thing. It's easy to read this, you know, being focused on whatever's uh, noble and right and lovely and admirable, and it's easy to read that and see it as escapist. Like, okay, I'm just going to live in denial and detach from this world and pretend that nothing bad is happening. But that's not the invitation in this scripture. And we know that because of what comes next, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But Paul is actually reminding us that anxiety will demand all your attention. It will have you fixated on the thing that you are the most worried about, that you're the most angry about, that you're the most concerned about, that you're most afraid of. It will captivate you and take all your attention and make you think nothing else is happening. And he is saying, put a boundary around your anxiety and let your attention move away from that, from the source of your anxiety, and remember that there is a whole other world that God invites you to beyond anxiety. It's not escapist, it's not denial, but it's putting a boundary around it and saying, you will not consume my thoughts and my life. It is not escapism, it's a healthy boundary. Steve Cuss, who has actually come here and, and spoken, he's a pastor and author, um, but he talks and writes a lot about anxiety, and one of the things he says is it's impossible to play and be anxious at the same time that play actually displaces anxiety. And I think that's part of what Paul is getting at here, that he's saying don't drown in your anxiety because it will let you. It will make you think that if you focus on it, you'll find a solution, and that's just not true. There's a poet uh, named William Blake, and a couple of hundred years ago, he said, we become what we behold. And I think that's what Paul is getting at here. That we become what we behold. If we let anxiety steer us in that direction and we only look at the things that are making us anxious, we become embodied anxiety. We will actually become held hostage and directed by it. But instead, Paul is saying, behold something better for a while so that you have something better to offer the world. So that you remember you are more than whatever is causing your anxiety now. That there is something better. 
And so we take time to behold that better thing. But as I said, this is not escapism because of what happens in verse 9. By the time we get to verse 9, Paul is asking us to put into action what we have seen and learned. He is saying we can look at Jesus, we can look at Paul's own example, we can look at the leaders around us that do this work well, but he is inviting us to then move in action, to actually take what we have gained from this time of prayer and actually move in a way that brings about more justice and peace in the world. That actually prayer is a place where Jesus can transform us into true peacemakers. That actually we begin to embody this peace and carry it around with us. That it actually says in verse 9 that the peace of God will go with you. It will be with you. So not only is the peace of Christ uh, guarding your hearts and minds, but the peace of God will go with you where God is sending. This is not escapism. It's engaging the world by the values of Christ, by being people that can bring deep transformation. You know, our mission statement is that we're deeply transforming lives through Jesus for the sake of the world. Yes, we want to be more free, but also the way that we can show up differently in all the spaces that God calls you to is by becoming these people of peace individually first, by being able to name it, recognize it, and not let it get in the driver's seat of your life. Do you remember earlier I talked about defying gravity and those moments of leaping up and, and uh, on the <laughs> when bouncing on the couch um, or on the swing, those moments when you're up in the air? There's something about defying gravity. There's something about watching someone who seems to be able to live apart from the laws of physics that's utterly captivating. And so I think about, you know, basketball players when they dunk and it's like, it just looks like physics is nothing to them. Or a ballet dancer when they leap and it just looks so effortless and graceful. There's something about that when you see a Michael Jordan dunk or a Dr. J dunk or when you see a Misty Copeland or a Barishnikov leap in the air and just seem to like jump higher than it should be possible. Or maybe an astronaut. I don't know about you, but I think many of us as kids wanted to be an astronaut. We wanted to be free and floating and flying. We wanted that experience of defying gravity. Why? Because it's captivating. It seems magical. It's wondrous. Here's the thing. I think, too, just like these people seem like they have a superpower, I actually believe you and I are being invited by Christ to develop a superpower. To be people of peace, to be people that can cope with anxiety and not be weighed down by it and not let it drive all our decision-making and our priorities is to be incredibly powerful people. It means that we can walk into spaces knowing who we are in Christ, rooted in his values, rooted in his authority, rooted in his gentleness and humility, and we can affect change while people are frantic and panicking and afraid. 
we can actually come in and with authority speak a word of peace, speak a word of calm. We can actually know where to focus our efforts instead of listening to the still small voice of anxiety or the screaming, blaring voice of anxiety, we actually can hear and attune to what the Holy Spirit is saying. And we can actually live out of that place. We can let the Holy Spirit remind us of our values and our priorities in Christ. And we can become people of justice and of peace, working towards something because we know in whom we've believed. And we're not waiting for eternity to see the kingdom come. And that when we walk in the room, we know that the God of peace is riding shotgun with us, that he goes with us. And so I want to invite the worship team up. And as we close, I want you to think about those places where you would like to be less anxious, where you would like to show up differently. Because here's the thing, it starts with you. You are sent to all kinds of places that I will never go. Workplaces, classrooms, families, neighborhoods, apartment buildings, laundromats, grocery stores. All the everyday spaces that you can show up as a mini Jesus as you can show up as, the, as one who has encountered the peace of God. And that's the invitation here at New Life, that we will help you grow and walk in that way. But will you accept that sacred invitation? Will you turn in those moments to prayer and let God transform you deep beneath the surface? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a God that keeps promises and that your word promises that as we come to you in prayer, that you will not turn us away, that you will not diminish our needs, but instead you will hear us, that you will care for us, that you will move beyond our understanding to give us peace, to actually protect our hearts and our minds from being shaped into people of anxiety and instead you will shape us into people of great peace. Would you transform us even now, even in those places where we are the most anxious? Lord, help us to know that we can be human and that you love us even as we wrestle even as we worry. Transform us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Let's, let's stand and sing together.